You know, it was, uh, just before I begin my lesson this morning, um, it was good to visit the uh, home of my uh, birth, of course. We went to Canada, I suppose all of you know that, on vacation. It's a long trip, three days, one way, in three long driving days, one way, and then three long driving days back, but it was worth it. Grandparents who hadn't seen grandchildren in almost five years got that happy and joyful reunion. Those of you who are grandparents, think about not seeing your grandkids for five years, and you'll, you'll get a feel for how happy our children and our parents were when they uh, saw their children that they had seen as little, little children, to see them grow now taller than they are, and so on and so forth. So it was, it was very much worth the trip to see our family and uh, and while we were there, uh, we had an opportunity to share the gospel, uh, something that had not happened uh, really effectively in, uh, in a long time. And some time had managed to go by, and I had a very good time with my cousin and shared the gospel with him and with my niece. She wanted to hear uh, the gospel, and we left her with a Bible correspondence course in French and, the, and a Bible and a connection with the preacher there in Montreal. And... And so, uh, the, you know, when, when none of your family are, are members of the church, it, it always uh, creates a, a wall, a division, uh, a certain, you know, coldness sometimes. You know, it's hard to talk about religion, things like that. But the separation, the long separation, had, had kind of smoothed over a lot of those things. And uh, some of our family were a little more receptive, a little more sympathetic to hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for allowing us to go for so long and for making that possible. We thank the elders for allowing me to take my vacations all in one shot, so to speak, to enable us to do the trip. Uh, it's good to visit the land of our birth, but it's good to be home. This is home. When we came back, we said, boy, it's good to be home. Walked in. Oh, it's great. 100 degrees. Love it. <laughs> love it. I love to sweat. Yes, sir. It's terrific. <laughs> but it is. Good, it's good to be back, and it's, and it's good to be back with you. Many people said we missed you, and, and we say we missed you too, and it was good to see all the familiar faces and the surroundings. We're anxious to get back into the work. I've had a lot of time to think about things that I want to do this year, and things, uh, goals, and you know, uh, objectives that, uh, that I want us to reach for uh, uh, this year. Uh, as a congregation, and uh, hopefully uh, we'll all work together to continue building the great congregation that we have in the last uh, in the last 12 months. I also want to thank those who took my place. You know, I mean, in the office there was more work, and Lewis, uh, of course, had to bear the brunt of that. So, of course, I've thanked him already, but uh, he did a lot of my work while I was gone. I want to thank those who taught my classes and you know replaced me here in the pulpit. Really do appreciate it, and uh, we'll. Uh, do the same when it's your turn to be out of town. <laughs> well, <clears throat> this morning I want to talk about essentials, because the sign on the front of the church lawn says the essentials of the faith. And I think everybody agrees with the idea of essentials. You know, there are some things which are essential and some things which are not. And I, I think we can agree with that principle, you know, like breathing Breathing is essential, you know. Breathing is one of those basic things that uh, you got to do in order to have life. Chocolate ice cream? Well, chocolate ice cream is not essential. See the difference? Breathing is essential. Chocolate ice cream is not essential. Now, you couldn't convince Lewis of that, but, you know, chocolate pie, I think, is what it is, right, Lewis? Uh, you, uh, you need a ball to play baseball. You know, you could have both teams. It could be televised throughout the United States. You could have 100,000 people in the stadium. 
Everybody got their uniforms, they've got the bats, we're ready to go. But if there's no ball, that one little thing, if that one little thing is missing, there's no game. I remember once uh, we went to hockey practice, you know, I was coaching hockey and, and I said to the kids, don't forget to bring all your equipment. Now you goalies, bring your face masks, pads, sticks, you know, and, and here 11 kids were out there. We rented the rink for two hours or whatever it was, you know, and we drove all the way out to Moore from, from Edmond and, and, and all the kids put their gear on and we'll all get outside and somebody said, somebody bring a ball along. No, did you bring a ball along? No, we had no, there was no ball. You know, no ball, no practice. No practice. Some things are essential. Now, in the rule about essentials, the point that I want to make here is that it doesn't matter how much of the non-essentials you have. If you don't have the essentials, it doesn't work. You know, having a motor in your car, that's essential. Having a CD player, that's not so essential. You can have a CD player and a thousand CDs in your car. But if you don't have a motor, you don't, it doesn't matter how many CDs you have. It doesn't matter how much of a boombox you've got in the, if you've got no back seat and all you've got is speakers, it doesn't matter. If you don't have a motor, you don't have a car. Well, in the Christian religion, the same rule applies. Some things are essential and some things are not. Now, this idea is not something invented by the Church of Christ. You know, this is not a kind of a Church of Christ idea. It is a biblical idea, the idea of essentials. For example, in the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, Peter is talking about the essentials of Christianity. And he says, Acts 4.12, if you're reading along, he says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now there is an essential for you. The apostles and the early disciples were persecuted because against the trend of inclusivity. You know what inclusivity is? Inclusivity is that idea that includes everybody. Everything is included. That's inclusivity. That was the trend in the first century. All religions included everybody. It was okay. You could have as many religions as you wanted. Against the trend of inclusivity, the apostles preached that salvation was exclusively in Christ and no other. And that idea was not popular. They were killed for it. And that idea was not popular in the first century, and it's not popular today. It has never been a popular idea. Our problem is that, once again, the move is towards inclusivity in the 20th century. That's the religious philosophical thought. Inclusivity. Let's gather everybody in together. That's the movement. And anyone who stands up and says no... There are some essentials, there are some basics that cannot be compromised. These people are labeled as narrow-minded or bigoted or legalistic. If you stand up and say, no, no, there's a line here, there's a line you can't cross, you are labeled as being narrow-minded. Our other problem is that there are some among us who make the list of essentials so long that hardly anybody can become a Christian. Those are the opposites. 
Some people don't want any list, no essentials, everybody's okay. And then you have the people at the other end who make the list of essentials so long that nobody can become a Christian. Nobody even wants to become a Christian because the list is so long and so impossible, so demanding. The answer, of course, is as always, is to review what the essentials are according to the Bible, not according to human opinion. And then to stand firm in these with a loving attitude. In doing this, people may not like the idea of essentials and exclusivity, but they will at least be sure of what we in the Church of Christ stands for. And they will hopefully learn what the Bible teaches. Now the question in its simplest form is this. What must I do to be saved? Simplest form. What must I do to be saved? Now, this question is expressed in a lot of different ways, but the bottom line is what are the things that must happen or that I must do in order to guarantee that when I die, I'm going to go to heaven? Now, I don't think that this question is born out of laziness or selfishness. You know, it isn't what is the minimum that I must do. You know, like when I was teaching school, uh, those of you school teachers, you know what I'm talking about. You say, okay, the assignment, we're going to have a history. You've got to read the book. And there's always one in the class that will raise his hand or her hand and will say, now, what's the minimum that we have pages for this report? Right? What's the minimum words? This question about the essentials is not about minimum. It's not, oh, what's the minimum I must do in order to be saved? It isn't what the minimum is. It's what the essentials are, the important, the must things. And there are must things in Christianity. People who are concerned with their souls don't want to risk losing salvation because of ignorance or neglect. So they want to know what the essentials are. These essentials have been packaged in several different ways. You know, I've read a lot of books. They package these essentials a lot of different ways. But basically... Basically, they are the following. The first essential. The first essential is faith in Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God. Not just faith in somebody like Christ, it's faith in Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God. It was the faith required of Thomas when he confessed before the resurrected Jesus and said, My Lord and my God. That's what he confessed. My Lord and my God. He confessed a divine Jesus. Not just my Lord, my teacher, my superior. He confessed that Jesus was God. Divine. That's, that, that's the kind of faith in Jesus that is essential to salvation. It was a resurrected Christ and a Lord and this particular Lord that Peter preached in Acts chapter 2. Peter preached about Jesus, the divine Son of God. That the prophets spoke of in the Old Testament that Jesus would raise, excuse me, that God would raise from the dead as a sign. That's the Jesus that Peter preached about in Acts chapter 2. It was the Jesus the divine Lord become man and resurrected from the dead that Paul proclaimed in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 to 11, when he said, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. What was he talking about? 
He was talking about Jesus. And what did he say about Jesus? He said, this person was equal with God. He preached a divine Jesus. All religions require faith in some form or another. But Christianity demands that the individual accept as true that Jesus Christ is God, the only divine Son of God. And not only is Jesus the only Son of God, but that the only way to be saved is through him, Acts chapter 14. It's not that, hey, guess what? We've got another divine appearance here among others. Christianity demands that we believe that Jesus is the only Son of God and that the only way to enter heaven is through faith in Him. Anything less than this, anything less than this, that Jesus is an angel, as believe the Jehovah Witnesses, or that Jesus is a prophet, as believed by the Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists, that Jesus is a good teacher as believed by many atheists. Anything less than faith in Jesus as divine is not faith in Jesus. Anything less is not faith in Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God, the only Savior, and that He is the only one who can save, this is essential. If you don't have this, you're missing a basic element of salvation. Second essential. The second essential is repentance and baptism. I put them together. Repentance and baptism. First, let me explain to you what these things are, and then I'll explain why I've put these two together. First of all, repentance is a kind of a religious word. It means simply to turn or to turn around. In the conversion experience, it's a turning away from the world and from sin and a turning towards God. In a practical sense, it means to abandon sinful practices and to begin pursuing a holy lifestyle. I mean, that's as practical as you can get. Before you were a sinner, you loved sin, you, you, you kind of got involved in it, you didn't care what people thought about it. Repentance means you now turn away from that. You try to avoid sin. You walk towards God. You walk in the light, so to speak. That doesn't mean being without sin or being perfect and never making a mistake. It means a redirection of your life. A conscious decision to redirect your life towards God and the things that God wants you to do. That's repentance. Baptism is a procedure where one is immersed or buried in the water. Now, the Greek word baptizo and the imagery that we find in the Bible, uh, as well as the early history of the church, all point to baptism by immersion as the method practiced in the Bible. Now, I say this because there are a lot of forms of baptisms that are practiced today, but that are not according to what the Bible teaches on the subject. You know, uh, I guess the best question that, that I could frame, or the best way I could frame this question is this. If you were being baptized by Peter or Paul, how would they baptize you? Well, the Bible says if you were being baptized by Peter or Paul, the apostles, they would baptize you by immersion in the name of Jesus Christ. That's how they do it. So that's why we do it that way. Now, the reason I mentioned these as one, you know, repentance and baptism, the reason I put them together is because they are the biblical response 
the biblical response or the expression of faith necessary for salvation. When a person believes that Jesus is the divine Son of God, there is both a requirement by God that the believer express that faith and there is a need by the believer to express his or her belief. The expression of faith is seen in repentance, which is the practical redirection of a person's life because of sin, and baptism, which is the moment in time when one submits his life to God for the removal of sin and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. Now, some people say that all we need to do is believe in order to be saved. But that notion is contrary to what the Bible teaches from the very beginning to the very end. Did you know that? Faith has always required a concrete expression. Always. Abraham believed, but he expressed his belief by obeying God and agreeing to sacrifice his son Isaac. Moses believed and expressed that faith by going to the Pharaoh and leading his people out of Egypt. Solomon believed. And he expressed that belief by building the temple according to what his father had instructed him to do, inspired by God. The apostles believed, and they expressed their belief by gathering in the upper room and waiting for the Holy Spirit. For each of these and hundreds of others in the Bible, God gave what they were to uh, do in order to express their faith. Now, when Peter preached Christ as the divine Lord at Pentecost, the people who believed and who accepted as true that statement asked him, what shall we do? That's what they said. They they heard what he said. They heard the message. They believed the message. And the very next thing they said was, what shall we do? In other words, we hear you. We believe what you say. What do we do to express our faith? You know what? Peter could have said, snap your fingers three times and you will be forgiven for your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He could have said that. He could have said, I want you to fast for three days and pray that God forgive you. And those who believed him would have fasted for three days. And God would have forgiven them. And God would have given them the Holy Spirit. He could have said, let each one of you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And all those who accepted Jesus as their personal Savior would have raised their hand. And at that very moment, they would have been forgiven and received the Holy Spirit. Peter could have said any one of those things. But what did he say? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter said, Repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what Peter said. What God required and quite clearly explained was that repentance and baptism were the proper biblical, godly, effective response of faith in Christ Jesus. And note that it wasn't complicated. People understood that kind of response because in Acts chapter 2 verse 41, it says that 3,000 people responded in faith. 
They came forward and they were baptized in order to have their sins forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I've explained the essentials of becoming a Christian. Tonight, this lesson was too long to put into one part, so tonight we're going to have part two. Tonight, we're going to talk about the essentials for remaining Christians. There's one more essential. For now, I ask you to review your own life and see if you have the essentials of Christianity. You know, it would be a terrible thing to sit in church and have all the accessories of Christianity. You know, the accessories, church attendance, Bible study, fellowship, picnics, family day. Those are the accessories of Christianity, but for some reason be missing the essentials. Ask yourself in regards to your own personal salvation. Ask yourself, do you believe that Jesus is the only divine son of God and the only savior? Do you believe that? Have you truly turned to God away from sin, away from worldliness? Have you made the decision, I am going to repent? And have you been immersed in water in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? Have you done that? If you've got this, and if you're missing some other stuff, we can always work on that other stuff. We have time to work on those other things. But if you're missing any one of these, it doesn't matter what else you've got. That's the message this morning. If you don't have these essentials, it doesn't matter what else you have. You are missing what really, really is important. If you are missing any of the essentials, or if you're not sure, then don't take any chances. If you're not sure, you can ask me or any one of the elders, one of our teachers, be always ready and eager to study with you. Whatever your need this morning, if you're Mind is made up about repentance or baptism, about being restored or placing your membership here. Then we encourage you to come forward now as we stand and as we sing our song of invitation.